before we pray. I'll pray before, before I preach, but we're going to pray after I preach. So, Lord, we pray that you would bless our time in your word today, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive your truth for your glory by the power of your spirit. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So I'm in Luke 13. We made two whole chapters since we last met in March. I mean, we are cruising. And in Luke 13, verse 18 to 21, and as an aside, we're going to pick up this conversation Thursday evening during a Sunday school on Thursday night. How's that for confusing to you? And there's a lot of meat on the bone here. But as you're flipping over there, I want to ask a question. So I got to ask Cariel and Caleb a question. Are you guys ready? Which is more powerful, a gorilla or a squirrel? Gorilla. Which is more powerful, a monster truck or a tiny little car? A monster truck. Which is stronger or more powerful? This is for everybody. A seed or a slab of concrete? I don't know. If you drop concrete on a seed, what happens? So here's the job I have for Cariel and Caleb. In your bag, you should have a piece of paper. I want you guys to draw the most powerful thing you can think of. Draw it real nice, color it in, and then after the sermon, I want you to tell your mom and dad about what it is. So as you're listening, you draw that picture, okay? Verse 18. He, Jesus, said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew, became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So we'll be structuring our, our sermon, the kingdom, the seed, the leaven, and if you've been noticing through the book of Luke, Luke uses the term kingdom of God a lot. He's used it 18 times to date. He'll use it 30 times by the end of the book. Hey, can you keep your face a little close to the mic? I'm sorry. No, thank you for saying something. If you can't hear me, better? Better up there too? If you can't hear me, say something. Luke uses the term kingdom of God 30 times in the book of Luke. And the kingdom of God is easily defined as God's redemptive kingdom. You guys remember Luke 11? Your kingdom come. God's saving of people one soul at a time and progressing through one heart at a time. So think of the realm of those under the rule of God because they've believed, repented, and been saved. Well, the Jews would have concepts of the kingdom of God that would come from Psalm 2, Psalm 72, Isaiah 54, Micah 5, 4. And this didn't look like it. Jesus didn't look like a king. This didn't look like a kingdom. It looked like a ragtag group of people. So the question becomes, what, what is this kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God like? Now i got a reverb, right? <laughs> so Jesus decides to answer that question. What is the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Verse 18. And he starts with a mustard seed. And this is really interesting. Side note, um, biblical study, side note. See, the man does the seed, the woman does the leaven, the woman hides the leaven. Is there any significance in those things? No. Uh, hermeneutics, interpretation of scripture, tells us 
A parable is a side-by-side -side illustration making one point. They're not real stories, they're exemplary stories, and the fact that there's a man or a woman or a, a hiding of the leaven that's insignificant, there's one main point. And what is the main point? Well, the mustard seed. This is a, a phenomenally interesting, incredible truth. Matthew, thir uh, Matthew 13 has a, a similar parable, same parable, and it refers to the mustard seed as the smallest of all the seeds. Is that true? It actually is. Some people will say, well, we know the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed. The word for seed con contextually is an agrarian seed. The smallest agrarian seed today is tobacco, but tobacco wasn't there back then. So it is accurate. The smallest agrarian seed becomes the largest agrarian bush or tree, dendron. It means a fruit-bearing tree or plant. And in that plant, the birds of the air nest. And there's the main point. What does that mean, the birds of the air build their nests in the branches of the tree to you? Well, you, you see a picture of a little tweet, tweet. Oh, how cute. He laid an egg. He had a, a baby. The baby grew up. Someone took the baby, put it in the visor of his sister's car. I'm kidding. We'll move on. But there's much more to this, and the Jews would know it. In Daniel 4, remember Daniel's vision? Men's Bible study, you guys remember that? Daniel had a vision. And in verse 10, he talks about his vision. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to the heavens, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and ready? The birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. What was that tree? Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon keep going, it got chopped down. The Jews would know Ezekiel. They would know Ezekiel 31. In the 11th year, in the third month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, whom are you like in your greatness? Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches, and forest shade, and in its towering heights, its top among the clouds. And if you go down to verse 6, it says, all the birds of the heavens made their nest in its bows. The kingdom of Egypt being compared to the kingdom of Assyria. Don't forget the kingdom of Babylon, trees and power represented. And what he's saying is, the kingdom of heaven may not look so grand, but hang on there because it will be Ezekiel 17. It will be greater than Babylon, greater than Assyria, greater than Egypt. It may look small, but take heart. There's great power in the seed. A seed is stronger than concrete, not immediately. Concrete wins the fight right away. But over time, the seed rips through the concrete and tears it apart. And the kingdom of God may appear to be smothered by the sea or by the concrete or the slab of other kingdoms. But Jesus' point is that over time, it will overcome and destroy and rip apart the kingdom of darkness. Y'all tracking with me? Do I get a wee-wee? All right. But what about the leaven? Well, when you make dough, you put leaven in the dough. And when you put the leaven in the dough, the leaven permeates. Now, is leaven about good or bad? Leaven of the Pharisees, leaven of the Sadducees, leaven of Herod. Aren't those all negative leavens? Leaven means influence. And this is a positive influence of the kingdom of God demonstrated internally in the lives of believers individually and corporately displayed throughout the world. The dough is the world. The leaven is the kingdom of God. And the point of Jesus is that while it doesn't always seem like it, 
God's redemptive kingdom is overcoming the kingdom of darkness, good overcoming evil, little by little, day by day, through the testimony and the life and the obedience of his people. It's like leaven. You put a little leaven in a big lump of dough, and over time it bubbles up and permeates every last nook and cranny of that dough. The kingdom of God, in the same way, has external power to be made manifest, but internal power as well. And listen to me. Christianity is not a concept. Christianity is about power. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the concept of God that leads to salvation by intellectual assent. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The power to save, the power to sanctify. Listen to the good news of this. What do we do with this? If you're saved, you can change. You're not defined by your sin. You're not defined by your struggles. You're not defined by your failures. You're not limited by your limps. You're not limited by your upbringing. You're not limited by your past. You are a new creation in Christ, and he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Christian people change. Christian people grow. Christian people should never be fatalistically depressed, going, I just can't. I'm so bad. I'll never change. Yes, you will. Because the kingdom of God is like a seed that is planted in your heart, and the seed grows and overcomes sin, and it overcomes darkness, and it, it reaps a bountiful harvest of fruit of the Spirit for the glory of God in one person's life at a time, demonstrated both individually and corporately. So as you feel you're struggling with depression, anxiety, uh, anger, fill in, fill in the list. That doesn't define you. That's Jesus' point, is that there's power in the kingdom of God. And he promises that he will change you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. You ever get that fatalistic, I just can't do it. I just can't obey God. I just don't want to obey God. I just, I'm never going to change. This is just who I am. I'm never going to be different. And, and life is too hard. And, and stop. Saved people change. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, he promises, on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, if you put a seed in the ground and come back tomorrow, how long does it, grow? How long does it take to grow? The next day? These things back here. Man, I'm going to learn to use this mic. There's a peony bush right behind me. It's stolen from my parents' house in New York. And you've missed the bloom. But this thing used to be tiny. It's 110 years ago it was planted by my great-great-grandfather. And every time someone moved to a new house, they'd peel off one little speck planted in the ground. It doesn't come up right away. It takes time. It's taken years. It's taken centuries. Believers change over time. Believers don't change in a day, a week, a month, or even a year. Believers change over the course of their lifetime. And God's glory is displayed as from one degree of glory to another, we are transformed into the image of Christ. Do you see the joy in that? Don't worry about fixing yourself. I mean, yes, fight. Yes, step into God's common means of grace. Yes, walk in obedience to God. It matters, as you'll see in a minute. But you can change. You will change. And God is glorified as he brings about that change in your life. It might not look like a powerful kingdom in the moment, but it is the most powerful kingdom the world will ever know. What about the leaven? <laughs> I laugh because it's so timely. Anybody watch the news? 
things ain't going that well. Renee always says it's like the toilet's flushing. I think we may have flushed and hit a clog. The world may not look so good, but the world is filled with fallen people. And because it is filled with fallen people, it's filled with fallen systems. But God doesn't intend for his people, listen to this, to be changers of the world. Say, hang on a minute, aren't we supposed to have an effect on the world? Yes, you are. But listen to me, we should be involved in the world. We should fight against injustice. But as God intends, as 11, overcoming evil with good, the government is not a savior, it's a platform builder. The churches are not lobbying organizations, they're embassies. And Christians, my friends, are not culture warriors, we are ambassadors of Christ. And I stole that from a man named Jonathan Lehman, who deserves credit from his book, How the Nations Rage. Our holiness matters. Our obedience matters. Because God seeks to change the world by salting the world with his people and spreading his kingdom like leaven through the world until all his people have nested in the branches of his tree. Now the question becomes, and we'll talk about this in Sunday school, and we can even talk from our boxes after for a couple minutes if you like. Well, how do we do this? You, you see injustice, you see oppression, you see, you see violence, you see corrupted systems, you see people who struggle, you see people who are forgotten, who are left behind, people who take advantage of others. What are we supposed to do as a church? Can I tell you what we're supposed to do as a church? I can't answer it in one sentence. But I can answer in a long discussion over time, over many months and weeks. We, the first thing we're called to do is change. You don't want to just rip a corrupt system, pull it out, and put in another corrupt system. That's how the world functions. Jesus is destroying all of the world systems to establish his system, the kingdom of God. And we are used by God as we walk in obedience to him to demonstrate his glory and to permeate the world with leaven. So yes, we, we fight against injustice. We, we seek to care for the downtrodden. We seek to provide for the widows and the orphans, understanding what that means culturally beyond just widows and orphans. But ultimately, we understand that God will change people. The cure for, for systematic fill-in-the-blank is it to be overcome by the kingdom of God. It's overcoming evil with good. Not, not forgetting, listen to me, that when you look at the world and it looks like it's going down the toilet, it actually isn't going down the toilet. Read through scripture and you go back to Judges and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The cycle of apostasy has never actually been broken yet, but one day it will be. And the problem, the struggle we have in the flesh is when we see injustice, we say, vengeance is mine. As opposed to, no, God saying vengeance is mine. When we see someone do wrong, we want to see the person punished and harmed as opposed to bring the gospel to the person. God will punish the person. The government is established to punish people. And don't misunderstand me. Read through, through history of, of Western Europe. Read through history of North America. And you will see the role of the church in affecting change in massive ways. You ever hear the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a what? I once was lost, was blind, but now I see. Who wrote that? 
Name is John Newton. You know what John Newton did for work? He's a slave trader. Do you know what John Newton, you know what happened in him? Do you know what happened to him in his life? A seed got smashed into his heart. He came to new life in Christ. He was convicted of the sin of, of slavery that he promoted, the sin of racism that permeated his life, and he used his life for the glory of God to proclaim the gospel and fight against injustice. You see how the kingdom of God works? Do you know where hospitals have come from by and large? Where orphanages have come from by and large? Well, as we read history, we see that the kingdom of God, let me ask you this question. Iran isn't a country that has much love for Jesus at a governmental level, amen? So there are no believers there, correct? China? Afghanistan? How does the church flourish in those places? Because it is the power of God for salvation. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, says Jesus, I have overcome the world. Now, we've seen 2,000 years of church history and how things have changed. Remember, the disciples didn't get to see any of this. They saw a guy who, who by his countenance, had nothing to merit himself as incredible. He didn't come like a king. His kingdom didn't look like a kingdom, and his followers were a ragtag group of fools. Amen? But he is a king. He will return. And think about when, when, he, re, when he ascended, roughly 600 people nested in the trees of the branches after his earthly ministry, if you understand what I mean contextually, saved people. There are billions of people on the planet who have been saved by the power of the gospel. You ever think about that? Do you know why Jesus has not yet returned? Because there are still birds who are to build nests in his branches. And as the birds build nests in his branches, one by one his redemptive kingdom comes, and his redemptive kingdom permeates the, the world like leaven until he returns. Now, there's a looming question as you look at the news, and the question is, what are we supposed to do? And this will be Sunday school. This will be many, many Sunday schools. I don't know if you know this. There's an election in November. But I just said the church isn't a lobbying organization. But believers are to be involved in local, civil, federal government. But how and to what end? I don't know if you've watched the news, but there have been marches and protests. Well, what are we supposed to do? Just lock up, stay in the house, keep ourselves safe? Or do we march? What is Jesus calling us to? The seed that we've received and the leaven that we are. You see, there's a real answer to that. But again, Christians aren't culture warriors. We're ambassadors. My friends, to rightly understand what Jesus calls us to is totally dependent on us rightly seeing Jesus for who he is and ourselves for who we are. He puts us in the world to be light. He puts us in the world to be salt. He puts us in the world to proclaim the gospel. And too often the church has been too quiet and the voices of the world have risen up and shouted from their platforms because the church has lost its prophetic voice. You see, the answer to every problem in the world is ultimately the gospel. 
Yes, legislation has a role to play, but, but government and legislation don't change people. They may just smother a problem. The gospel changes people. The gospel changes families. The gospel changes cultures. And the reason it's important is because one day the king of the kingdom will return to establish his, his rule and reign fully. And those who have not entered his kingdom by grace through faith will be destroyed. You see, our job isn't, Jesus, Jesus didn't come to fix the world. Is that what he says? I have come to fix the world and establish utopia. Well, that's what Karl Marx thought. Karl Marx thought if you could take power from the corrupt people and put it into the hands of all people, then you'll have utopia on earth. And Marxism is a promotion towards socialism or communism. I'm not getting political, I'm getting biblical. Hang with me for a minute. Because the problem is ultimately that power still has to reside somewhere. What Jesus is saying is all power is mine. And he's calling people to submit to his rule and reign as he ultimately one day sets up a theocracy. We're listening to this. Every bird has a permanent nest in the branches of the tree. Every beast dwells under the shade of those branches. And we eat from the fruit of that tree. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, I came to put a seed in the, in the dirt. And it might not look like it's doing too well right now. But hang on a minute. Because the seed that you think might have been smothered by the slab of concrete, watch it for a little bit. The seed that you think might have been uprooted when he lay in a tomb dead, watch it for a minute. The seed that you often wonder if it has any effect in your life because you just don't feel like you can change, hang in there for a moment. And as you hang in there, gaze upon the manifest glory of God. Gaze upon the reality of who God is and who you are in his eyes. Gaze upon who you once were and who you now are and how wonderfully and perfectly he cares for you. The struggle we all have is that we have a lot of worldly leaven in our lives, depending upon how we grew up and how we've lived for our life. And the world offers lots of leaven. That's why it says, do not be conformed to this world. Remember when the Jews left Egypt and the planes coming in for landing, the Jews left Egypt, what kind of bread did they take? Why'd they take unleavened bread? Well, because it's easier to hide a matzah than a big doughy <laughs> loaf. No, that's not why. It was symbolic of a clean break with the, with the environment they were leaving. When, when Jewish women would be married, their moms would give them some sourdough, some leaven that they would take with them. And it was handed down from generation to generation to show the passing on of tradition. And when the Jews left Egypt, they went with unleavened bread. Well, first they were in a hurry, but second to show a clean break, leaving behind. They didn't leave it fully behind. You remember the golden calf? That was an Egyptian deity. But it was supposed to be symbolic of leaving it behind. When we come to faith, we still live in the world, amen? But we're not to be of the world. The battle for the church, the battle for the believers is to understand the joy that Jesus will make every wrong right. Jesus will deal with carrying out vengeance upon everyone on whom vengeance will be poured. There will be no one, listen to this, no one gets away with anything. And he promises to provide for his people perfectly.
not as we live passively, in fact, as we live quite actively. But what motivates our activity and how we live actively is so important to understand because we're dealing with a foundational problem of sin and darkness in the kingdom of darkness. And the seed of the kingdom of God, the leaven of the kingdom of God, will permeate to the ends of the earth. Now here's the problem. You can go to a variety of different types of churches. You could go to a, you can become Amish and you can go hide out in Lancaster. Never see anybody. Are you allowed to have an a iPhone if you're Amish? They do? Okay, I might do, I might do that. Or you can become very active, a, a cultural activist. There are churches that do that. Totally lose the gospel, but you just, you fight against injustice. They're both wrong. They're both partially right and a lot wrong. The church is to be in the world, not of the world. The church is to seek to become all things to all men so that some might be saved. The church is to identify injustice, but fight with God's tool against injustice, which is not to shift power from one circle to another, but to overcome evil with good. And it starts in our own lives. Now, how do we pull that off practically as we deal with political turmoil as we lead to November, as we deal with civil and social turmoil, as we look at, at monuments coming down, and some people go, well, that should come down, and other people go, that shouldn't come down, and some people, how about this? Hang on a minute. Before you get all excited about ripping somebody else's idol down, how about we examine the idols in our own hearts? So our motivation might be proper and the battle might be fought with the right tools so that idols can truly come down. It's not passive, but it also requires believers to know one another, to listen to one another, and to engage with a lost world where we're not just simply telling people how dumb they are and how they need to change. The message of the gospel is how loved you are and why Jesus came. So, so put it into context. You got this guy, Jesus, who comes and he says, yeah, that's me, I'm God. I'm the Messiah. I've come to seek and save that which is lost. I've come to overcome evil with good. I'm the king of a kingdom. People are looking at him going, yeah, but you, ain't own, you don't own a house. You got no money. You got this ragtag group of people. I'm just saying, your own people are, are trying to kill you. Um, doesn't look like it. And Jesus says, all right, what's the kingdom of God like? To what should I compare the kingdom of God? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And the question for us is, do we believe him? Do we believe that there is power in the gospel to not only save but to sanctify? Jenny Craig might look like she's more effective at changing people than the gospel, but she's not. There may be ways that you think through politics the world has changed more emphatically and drastically than the gospel, but it's not. And it starts with us. Do we believe there, power, there is power in the gospel? Do we believe God is who he says he is? That God will do what he says he will do? 
and that we are who he says we are in Christ. Or asked another way back to where we started. What is the most powerful thing you know of? Who is the most powerful person that you know of? What power do you trust in with your life? Jesus says, what is the kingdom of God like? What am I like? The answer to that last question in Jesus' answer is, I am God. To those who are saved, you are mine. And even though things might not always look good, God seeks to salt the earth with his people and spread his kingdom like leaven through the world until all his people have nested in his tree. A people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Now here's the kicker. If you've listened to that sermon, you should have dozens of questions if you stop and think about it. You know the yeah but questions, amen? All right, Pastor, that sounds good, but. I understand what you're saying intellectually, but. Here's my life in reality. Two phrases, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. You ever hear those words? Orthodoxy, right believing. Orthopraxy, right living. Well, how are we supposed to be orthodox in our, in our minds, to our hearts, and orthopraxic in how we live our lives day to day? I think there's some worthy, wonderful conversation for us to have as a church as this text relates to our current cultural context. Amen? Unless, of course, you all just want to back up and grab into the world's camps of, of who you're voting for, put your signs up, trench yourself in, and prepare to do battle until the day comes. Or watch the news, look at the marchers, look at the protesters, as if this is one cohesive group, there's just like one problem, you're, and make your decision, I like that, I don't like that. Rah, 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 or shut them down. You see, it's more complex than that. Because there is the kingdom of darkness which manifests itself in a myriad of ways in which we, we once lived. You know the story of Lazarus. I said the plane's landing. Well, now it's taxiing to the gate. When Lazarus came out of the tomb, you remember what he was wearing? A tuxedo. Because it, it was a resuscitation party. He was wrapped in grave clothes. And you remember what Jesus said they needed to do for Lazarus? Unwrap him. You know what we're kind of like as saved people? We're covered in grave clothes. And we're called to help one another unwrap those grave, grave clothes. But when we go back to our day-to-day -day lives and we're not hanging out with each other so much, oh, let's say from March to now, we tend to rewrap on those grave clothes because they kind of smell like home. But that's no longer our home. We have a new home. And our job is to proclaim the home that is offered to all who will repent and believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help, please help us. Please help us to rightly see you. Please help us to rightly trust you. Please help us to rightly see ourselves and to rightly see others. Lord, help us to love people not because they're pleasing to us and do what we want, but help us to love people because you call us to, because they're image bearers, because they are loved by you. And help us to understand our job isn't to say, I can't do it, 
Our job is to say, on my own, I don't want to, and I can't. But by your power, I can. Lord, change us. Lord, uproot idols in our hearts. Help us to see them. Lord, help us to see you for who you truly are. Help us to not hear kingdom updates from the news, but kingdom updates from your word. Help us to realize, Lord, that Babylon fell. Assyria fell. Egypt fell. Rome fell. The Soviet Union fell. But the kingdom of God will never fall. It will rise to its fullness of height. And then you, Lord Jesus, will return. So Holy Spirit, give us wisdom on how we should live in this world. Give us wisdom and strength on how we can glorify you through our obedience, through our proclamation, through how we live our lives. And help us to trust that you are exactly who you say you are and that you will do exactly what you say you will do. In your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Jay's going to close us out with a song, and we'll have a benediction.